Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Polaris, New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, good morning. Uh, no Smithy this morning, unfortunately. Smithy's a little bit under the weather, and he's not the only one. Uh, let's just say that. We are hearing that there is a COVID outbreak in the All Blacks camp. We've asked the All Blacks uh, for a comment. There is supposed to be a presser at 9.30, and uh, we're just waiting to hear on that. But uh, we'll bring you more news as we hear it Um I'm not sure how much we can save. Nothing has officially been confirmed, uh, but there's multiple sources telling us that uh, members of the coaching staff and members of the playing staff are affected by COVID and may well be unavailable this weekend for the first test. So stay tuned. We will bring you more on that as we hear it and as that develops. Uh, Ricardo Ball obviously in for Smithy this morning and uh, hopefully Smithy's Feeling all right? Maybe he's been hanging out with the All Blacks. Maybe that's the issue. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll get a confirmation, yay or nay, from Smithy on that one. But, yeah, concerning ahead of the first test, the Irish, I hope everybody's okay. Um, but, of course, it could have an impact on what 15 takes the field and what 23, for that matter, as well. Uh, like I say, we will try and get some more information for you and update you on that as things develop. Now, coming up on the show, we're going to talk cricket surely with uh, Hamish Bennett, former Black Cap. Uh, we've had uh, we've got one day left of the three test series against England. England in the box seat again for this one. Uh, so we'll have to see um, what Hamish Bennett thinks of that because. It was interesting, and we'll get Hamish's take on that. There's a bloke uh, in the English team called Jack Leach who's an out-and-out spinner, and he's taken 10 for in this test match. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a spin bowler capable of taking 10 wickets in an innings available for New Zealand? Wow. I, if only we had that luxury. How good would that be? Uh, so we will talk to Hamish Bennett about that. We'll also take your calls from 9.30 as well. The phone lines will be open. And you can call in, and uh, like I say, if we get any more on this All Blacks development, we will let you know as well. We can talk about that and maybe get a prediction from you about what that All Blacks team might look like once we get some news from the team itself. They do have a press conference due at 9.30 this morning. We may find out more then. After 10 o'clock, Rick Salizzo. He is the CEO of Rugby New York. They play in the Major League Rugby competition, and they have just beaten the Seattle Seawolves 30-15 to in the final at Red Bull Arena. Arena to be the new Major League Rugby Champions of Season 5. A bunch of former All Blacks running around for that team. Andy Ellis, he scored in the final. 
uh, Waisaki Naholo, and Nehi Milner Scudder also there as well. So we'll get Rick Salito on after 10 o'clock to talk about that. We've got a panel today as well. We might be, uh, we, we might be changing tact on the panel because of the breaking news that we seem to have coming out at the moment. We'll definitely be talking about a rugby league and a bit of cricket, uh, but maybe international rugby will put... Uh, push its way to the front of that queue. After 11 o'clock, Sam Ackerman joins us as well. Rugby League pundit, of course, a big weekend of Rugby League. State of Origin 2 last night and the Blues absolutely put the Maroons to the sword, winning 44-12 over in Perth. Just the second State of Origin to be played in Perth. The first one in 2019 finished 38-6 to the Blues. So uh, same margin there and uh, I'll tell you what, Perth is officially now the westernmost suburb of Sydney by the looks of things because uh, they love running around there, do the Sky Blues. And uh, we'll talk to Sam Ackerman about that. We'll talk to him about the double header we saw at Mount Smart on uh, Saturday night as well with the Kiwi Ferns and the Kiwis taking on Maamate Tonga as well and uh, what that maybe told us ahead of the World Cup happening in November in the UK. Uh, we will also have a Stumped with Smithy as well, uh, your chance to win a $50 TAB bonus bet and some sleep drops as well. All of that and more to come. And like I say, if we get more on this uh, story that it has been developing, uh, multiple sources telling us there is a COVID outbreak in the All Blacks camp, we will come bring that news to you. Right now, though, Hamish Bennett, former Black Cap, joins us to talk cricket. G'day, Hamish. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. How you going? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Uh, I mean, we see... Um, and yet another test looks like it's going to slip away from the Black Caps, looking very much like this is going to be a sweep for the Poms under Baz in his first go-round. Yeah, it definitely does, mate, unfortunately. He's got our number ready. I think that's just years of watching us play, knowing the way we tick, and he's, I guess he's just taking us apart slowly, really, and it's just showing um, yeah, just his approach that he's given England, he's given them that new life that everyone keeps going on about, but it seems to be really paying off for, um, for that bunch of men. How much do you think Baz has had an influence on bowling plans to our top five? Because our top five really have have not performed uh, in either test, uh, you know, in any of the three tests here. I'm looking at these numbers. I mean, Daryl Mitchell and Tom Blundell, I guess, um, have been the flag bearers for the Black Caps. These stats, Hamish, uh, make for some pretty uh, wow-type reading. In three tests so far... Daryl Mitchell and Tom Blundell have scored 921 runs between them at an average of 92.1. Everyone else in the team, 893 at an average of 17.9. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I think, um, you're getting back to your first point there, he definitely has got our number of that. And I think he's just, he'd be just all over the strategy, all over the tactics of, I mean, of batting and bowling. That's all he'd be providing just, you know, his years of being an international captain and being captain of franchises and that. He knows how batters tick and how game plans work. So he'd have been all over that and just, I guess, using a little bit of the data as well. And I think Stokes as well has got a bit of a part to play too. He's trusted his gut. He's been pretty aggressive with his captaincy. I mean, he didn't have a sweeper last night for a long period with um, Jack Leach bowling, which is, it's unheard of, really, with a spinner not bowling with any boundary cover, just to try and create those sort of those options to take and try and create some create some wickets. So, I think Stokes and McCollum worked really well together, trusting their gut, but also using their tactics as well. So, it's really paid off. And I guess for us and anyone watching as well, um, whether they be, be a club cricketer or an international cricketer, is sometimes when you're out in the middle, you just got to trust your gut and go with your heart. 
There's another Kiwi who maybe doesn't get um, as much praise as they should, who's also part of that uh, England setup, is Jeetan Patel. I saw Jack Leach interviewed post game, or post day four, I should say. Uh, he had uh, plenty to say about how Jeetan's improved his game. They shortened his run up. He's using more overspin as well and trying different things with the ball. And of course, uh, Jack Leach just took uh, 10 for it in the, uh, in the test. Yeah, it's an amazing effort, really, for Jack Leach to take 10 for it. He's just Jack Leach's personal coach, really. Um, when you look at that squad, he just would just coach Leach and a little bit of Joe Root with their bowling. So have that person you can talk to and go to the whole time who you know has been out there and done it in the middle as well. Jeets has some great success in England. Um, we know, obviously, all the tactics and how to bowl at certain grounds and I guess for New Zealand as well, how to bowl to certain batters. So, yeah, you can only see England really well. They're only going on the up, really, and I guess people have spoken about saying they're not as strong as they could be and they need to play against Australia and all that, but you've got to remember England's, you know, they're without Joffre Archer, Mark Wood, Molly Robinson, um, Chris Wokes. So, I mean, you get those guys back and they've actually got a few selection headaches as well. Jimmy Anderson? Jimmy Anderson as well. So, when they do play Australia and they <clears throat> they get to play South Africa and, and, they, and they get a few of those guys back, I mean, they're going to be pretty pretty good with their bowling lineup as well, I think. Where both teams have probably struggled, especially in the third test, is that fourth um, seam option. Obviously, Stokes carrying that knee niggle. Mm. Daryl Mitchell not bowling as much as probably we need to. I think for us, it's actually shown how much of a loss uh, De Grandheim is, how much he can sort of hold our attack together and be that glue to give us a good balance. Um, I think moving forward <coughs> for New Zealand, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, um, I think Conway potentially probably has to open the batting with. Henry Nichols coming up to four and Daryl Mitchell coming into five. So then De Grandheim can play in bat seven. Then we can look to play Ajaz and then maybe three um, frontline pace bowlers. So not quite sure where that, where that team sort of lies, but there's probably a lot of combinations New Zealand could use. Um, it's just trying to figure out which is the right one for the right conditions. I talked to a few people ahead of this third test at Headingley <coughs> and everybody said Headingley is a place where you can bowl, you, you have to bowl a spinner. Why did the Black Caps not bowl a spinner? There seems to be a real reluctance to play Ajaz anywhere that's not an absolute minefield. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure. I, I felt as though, especially with the way that we like to play our cricket as well, you know, England was always going to create flatter wickets that required a spinner. Um, I guess we just had that recipe and that success with going with our seam bowlers for so long. So I guess over a long period of time, that builds trust. Um, it's, it's It's been very, very reliable. It's it's a safe option and it's a comfortable option. So I guess sometimes, you know, um, stepping outside your comfort zone and all that can be tough as a captain and can be tough as a team. So I guess that's probably the way they're probably thinking about it. Um, I guess from an outsider's point of view, was, you know, I guess it's everyone's probably hammered it to death. Um, it would have been great to see AJ's play. And obviously now if Leach taking 10 for it, probably just rubs even more solid to the wound. Well, it does. And I mean, it, it feels like, I don't know what you think, but it feels like Kane Williamson doesn't trust Ajaz Patel. Um, I'm, I'm picking that he gets the, the final say. Um I mean, he takes the tenfer. He doesn't play in either of the test series in New Zealand. Then we go to England. They name him in the first test. He play. He bowls two overs in two innings. Then gets dropped um, and and isn't part of the team for the third test where we know it's going to spin. I, it just makes no sense to me. Um, yeah, I guess it's just because of New, in New Zealand um, the seaming conditions, and obviously when we play those four seamers, that obviously our batting depth isn't as 
doesn't go as deep as um, we would like, even though we've got the world's greatest, well, the best ever number 11 ever to exist in Test history. Um, we probably just don't have that batting, that batting depth if we play Ajax. So I guess for that point of view, when it's favouring um, seam bowling, it's probably easy to think about the easiest option is to leave Ajax out of the side and then going into Trent Bridge as well. And Lord's nipped around a bit. It was pretty hard to face um, seamers from memory. So I guess that's why... Um, AJ's didn't really bowl. I don't think Jack... Well, Jack Lee got concussed, didn't he? And Parkinson mm. only really bowled a few overs at the tail. And then heading into Trent Bridge, the wicket was obviously quite... Um, had a bit of moisture day one, so I thought about winning the toss and having a bowl as their best option of winning the test. And then we obviously batted first, and then it became pretty apparent after day one that we were missing Wagner and AJ's. So I think probably things just haven't turned out the way they would like with their planning, really, just with you know winning a few tosses or trying to make the most of the wickets when they had it. And I think that first wicket at Lords, which was meant to be flat, I think that really threw them off um, heading to the next test with selection. Because headingly as well, you know, a lot of sides have not played a spinner there as well. A lot of visiting sides haven't played a spinner there either um, over the years. So I guess they're probably thinking that a little bit as well. But with the way, I guess, baseball as they call it now, or as he calls it on SCNZ, sexy cricket, um, <laughs> I think um, I think playing Bracewell was... Well, they probably just wanted more runs, um, you know, the ability to score more runs. But, hey, you win test is by taking 20 wickets. So exactly. I think with the, way, with the way that Baz plays and the English are playing with the offspin of Bracewell, I know you got a wicket last night, but also went for 17 and 11 overs. Um, they're just going to keep taking them on. So I do like the option of Ajaz with being able to spin the ball away from the right-handers outside edge. Yeah, well, I mean, because it, it feels... Um I don't know what the right term is here, but it feels a bit backward, I guess, thinking um, to to be worried about what Ajaz is going to contribute with the bat. I mean, that's not what he's in the team for. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, and and then you oh, look, I totally, totally agree. Yeah, and then you look at Headingley, right? And you go, Jack Leach had the new had the ball in the first innings after fourteen overs, and he took the new ball in the second innings. That tells me that that pitch straight away should have been identified by people that know what they're doing as as a pitch that was going to take spin. Yep, spot on. I, I think they opened the bowling of Jake Leach in the second innings just to rub salt into our wound. Just Baz just trying to show that, you know, you can play a spinner and showing New Zealand's reluctance of playing a spinner. So just trying to sort of have a li- that little mind battle. They do call Age as the um, Indian Lara at Central Districts. I know they do that off um, their social media account. account. So um, he, he has contributed with the bat. He's actually done a very good job with the bat um, when he when he has played. So. Yeah, it's just one of those ones. I think when you look at the English side and look at the way Baz is thinking, he's always, I mean, it's a mindset that he has. He's always six to 12 months ahead of the game where it's progressing anyway. It's going to take a wee while for some teams to catch up and play the style of cricket that England are playing. Um, and for us, I think it's just looking at two teams that are transitioning differently. I think England are transitioning on the way up. And I think, unfortunately, with age of our guys, where we're at, um, we're probably transitioning the other way. And a few guys are probably going to, Call time within the next sort of twelve to eighteen months, and guess we've got to think, start thinking about our next cycle of players that are coming through. And I think the exciting thing I've taken out of this is there's been so much, I guess, criticism or press about it. it just shows how much of a high standard we've got now for our black cap side. Yeah, um, you know how, how successful they have been from 2019 or 2015 onwards, and our expectations of the side. So I think you know as a player you can be disappointed with you know getting negative press or press that's um, you know, offering constructive criticism. But for me, if I was a player in that environment, I think that's actually a good thing because 
just shows the stand and the expectations we have of that side now. So it's, it's only a good thing. That is a good thing. That is a positive thing. Um, something else, you know, you mentioned Michael Bracewell uh, coming into the team, and there's nothing against Michael Bracewell at all. Um, you know, he's been selected, he's taken his opportunity, but if, if you rewind a few months, you know, we were being told um, that Rajan Ravindra was a project at seven to be a spinning all-rounder at test level, and that you know, he was he was seen as a guy that could do a real good job for New Zealand. Uh, he could be the other de Grandholm when we, you know, we had spin conditions. Yeah, you know, he's scoring double tons for Durham, and we're putting Michael Bracewell in the team uh, in England. I, I don't understand that selection either. I guess it's probably from coming from that Dutch series. You know, um, Brace has had a great, obviously, super smashed that great innings in um, New Plymouth, and then carried it on for the rest of the tournament. Um, and he's always been able to bowl those offies and he's always been looking to develop it. And I guess when he played against um, Holland, especially in Hamilton, just the amount of turn he got, purchase, rag, um, whatever term you want to use, he got against the Dutch. I guess that really excited New Zealand um, selectors and coaching staff about using him in England. He's obviously an experienced top-order batter. They probably thought with the ball moving around um, in those conditions, probably needed a bit more experience. Um He's got good leadership as well. So I think he ticks a lot of the other boxes off the field as well. So, um, yeah, but you're right. We did hear that a lot about Ravindra, but I think Ravindra will do that role, whether he'll open the batting or he'll bat in the middle order and be able to bowl, I think. For mine, I just think they'll probably rush Ravindra a touch. Um, you know, he hasn't played that much for Wellington um, in first-class cricket. Um, probably needs to dominate playing for Wellington, especially with the ball as well. Hasn't really bowled much for Wellington with the ball. Bowled here and there. Probably needs to... I think for his development, he needs to have a good season of first-class cricket, bowling lots of overs, being the first-choice spinner. Obviously going to be tough now with Bracewell there as well, but when Bracewell is away, that he needs to bowl a lot of overs and, and score a lot of runs and take that responsibility at um, first-class level. I think it's something that I think a lot of sporting organisations do. They, they sort of tout their, their next sort of diamonds, I guess you'd call them, um, and probably rush them a little bit early, whereas with Ravindra, ideally, you'd want him to play a lot more first-class cricket for Wellington and then when you get him in, keep him in. Um, I think it's tough on a young guy's psyche, you know, 22 years old, I think he is, coming in and out of the national side and when he's playing, probably not contributing or doing as much of his role as he'd like and then can come back to Wellington and plays a completely different role. So he probably comes back a little bit confused. I think they need to probably have a better alignment of around his role because at the moment for Wellington, he's an opening batter who bowls the odd over and then when he goes to New Zealand, he's a bowler. Um, or he's playing as a genuine all-rounder. So, it's pretty tough on the kid with expectations of his bowling considering he doesn't bowl as much as he needs to for Wellington. Do you think there's anything, and this is a conversation that I've had before with uh, Mitch McLennigan, do you think there's anything from a New Zealand cricket point of view, um, and this is probably Onstead and White rather than Kane, uh, you know, they made the call to re- to not give Jimmy Neesham a contract and they gave one to Michael Bracewell and so they had to, just, they had to justify that decision by selecting him? Um, oh, no, I think the... The way the ranking system works with the contracts, um, I mean, Jimmy wouldn't have got any Red Bull ranking points. Um, he obviously hasn't been picked either, I don't think, in those ODIs um, against in the on the looks like you know the stag stag do trip, you know, against Ireland, Scotland, and Holland. So I guess just for for Nisham, it's a hard one because the the way the contracts contracting system works, if you play Red Bull cricket, if you're in the top fifteen. Um, you know, at the time of the contracts, you, you're going to get a contract with the way the system works. It's for someone like Jimmy, who's obviously a big T20 player. Um, 
you know, and a, a strong, strong in that format, but not strong in the other formats. You're just never going to get a contract. So it's it's not really down to, um, I guess you know their perception of them or what they want them to do. I guess it's just the way the contract contracting system works, and whether that needs to be looked at or you know, and if it was to be looked at, how that would work. Um, it's always tough, I guess, because we're trying to New Zealand's trying to put re- make sure that Test cricket's still the pinnacle. So that gets a lot more points in the ranking system as opposed to T20 cricket. Yeah, I was just having a look. Um, Nisha has been called in for the for that for that um, uh, not the ODI against Scotland, I don't think, but for all the white ball stuff, all the T20 stuff, he's he's in the team. But yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. I think um, there are some questions around maybe some of the the management, uh, I, and I also look at our coaching IP. You know, we've. We've been told, particularly by Dave White in the past, that um, people like Brendan and Daniel Vittori and Stephen Fleming aren't interested in coaching at international level. Yet we see Baz now at England, Vittori at Australia, Jeets obviously. Are we in danger of losing um, some of our best coaching IP maybe because we've got guys that think outside the box that don't fit in where people like Dave White and Gary Stead see us going? Um, oh yeah, I wouldn't say Gary Stead is fits right in the box either. Um, I think it's more to do just I I think personally just with the whole. I'm not sure if it comes from a sport in New Zealand, but the way they do those um, they do those coaching courses. I'm not sure what they're called. Are sort of um, accelerating coaching courses. I think they're called with Sport New Zealand with a whole heap of people come in from you know different sports and they sort of run a sort of a coaching course of you know planning and processes and and everything like that and. Um, I think that sort of maybe dulls down our coaches. I mean, I look at Scott Robinson as well. You know, like people say, you know, I read articles he'll never coach the All Blacks because he break dances after they win. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't care if he, I wouldn't care if he break dance after we won the World Cup, as long as we win the World Cup. I think all the best coaches around the world have something different that they that, that they do and they're authentic to themselves. You know, that's what Baz has done. He's willing to fall on a sword. Looks like Scott Robinson's willing to fall on a sword, playing the way he plays and being the person he is and. I look at you know rugby league. I look at Wayne Bennett. You know he used to train with the guys and run with the guys, and still holds I think the third fastest um, time trial for the for the run they do the eight k run the Broncos used to do. So everyone does stuff differently, and I think the coaches that have probably had the most success um, in their coaching life probably haven't done those coaching courses. Have just been authentic to themselves. You know you listen to Mourinho when he got asked what his coaching philosophy was, and he said, "What's the philosophy? I just coach to win." So it's um. It's one of those things, I think, if you are looking to get into coaching or you want to be a coach, then you've just got to make sure that your game plan and how you go about it is completely authentic to yourself and you're not trying to be someone that you're not. Mm, yeah, interesting. All right, Hamish. Hey, listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. One day to go. Um, a chance out of 100 that the Black Caps can, can win this uh, last test? Um, oh, look, it's, it's probably not great. Great numbers at the moment, is it? We're going to have to start with a... With a massive hiss and a roar, I think Bolton Saudi obviously open the bowling, and they're probably going to take at least probably three between them in the first ten overs. I would have thought to to try and stop the bleeding and and then try and get some control of this game. Um, but a few early wickets would make for some great viewing, wouldn't it? But um, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't think it'd be that high, All unfortunately. Right. Yeah, good stuff, Hamish. Go well, mate. Enjoy your day, and we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Awesome. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, there we go. Hamish Bennett, former Black Cat Bowler, there with us. Uh, and uh, if you've got any uh, take on what we just talked about, double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. I'd love to hear from you. Have heard this one from PD. Kane Williamson, for all is good, has never 
really trusted any of his spin bowlers. It's really strange. Yeah, thanks for that, PD. Keep those coming in. We'll be back with uh, Tom Blundell next. Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. No Smithy this morning, here's Crook Ricardo Ball in for you. This is how things look at the end of day four of the third test at Headingley. New Zealand uh, have a lead of 113 runs, but England have eight wickets in hand going into the last day. They're currently 183-4-2. This is what Tom Blundell had to say about what New Zealand needs to do going into day five. Um, I think we're just going to we're gonna fight. Um, you know, this team's been known to fight. Um, and we're going to come out there and do that tomorrow. I think you put a couple of wickets on there, um, you just never know. Um, obviously, you've got two, two guys out there in good form. You know, we get one of those, um, who knows. Looks like it's quite a bit of variable bounce out there. I mean, how did you find to, to bat on them? I mean, you made 88, not hours, terrific innings, um, and, and applying that now in, in your role as keeper. Yeah, no, the wicket is de- deteriorating. Um, a little bit of... Um, Terrible bounce, um, obviously with the spin as well. Um, it looks like it's quite hard to drive with that older ball. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's going to deteriorate even more, and hopefully we can utilise that tomorrow. There you go, Tom Blundell talking about what they need to do, fight. Well, I mean, to pity the uh, New Zealand lower order couldn't fight in that second innings. Uh, they fell over pretty cheaply and left Blundell stranded, 88 not out at the end of that second New Zealand innings. Keen to get your thoughts on the cricket. Uh, where does New Zealand go from here? The Black Caps. Is Gary Stead the right man for the job? Do they need to look at the captaincy? Do they need to look at the direction? Why don't they trust Ajaz Patel, who's been able to take 10 for in a match in India? So many questions there. Also, the All Blacks. There is a story coming out uh, that, we, that COVID has hit the All Blacks, uh, that Members of both the playing and uh, coaching staff uh, are affected. We are trying to hear, uh, trying to get in touch with the All Blacks to get a comment on this. Haven't heard anything yet. So, uh, what does this potentially mean? We'll bring you news as we hear it as well. But 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Talk back time after the latest news and sport with Araha. Talk back time with Smithy. Call now. 0800 150811. It's 25 away from 10 here on SENZ. Ricardo Paul in for Ian Smith. It is talk back time 0800 150811. 0800 150811. Uh, get in touch and uh, let's talk some sport. There's so many things to cover. We haven't really even talked State of Origin yet, but of course, State of Origin 2 last night and the Blues absolutely smashed the Maroons out uh, in Perth. 30, uh, sorry, 44-12 it was the final score. So we could talk that. We could talk the cricket. Of course, been talking a little bit about that. And then the other story that has uh, come up this morning has been a story coming out of the All Blacks that there has been a COVID outbreak. The All Blacks have updated us. They have said that uh, Ian Foster and John Plumtree have both tested positive for COVID and are isolating at home. And David Harvey and Jack Goodhue have also tested positive and are not with the team in Auckland. Braden Enor has joined the team apparently. Uh, so... For a lot of people, David Harvey, Jack Goodhue would be the starting uh, midfield against Ireland. What does this mean? Is it going to be Roger Tuivasa-Shek and Rico Yuani? Is that going to be the starting midfield? Or do they look at something different? Do they play maybe Geordie Barrett at 12 with Rico at 13? Play Bowden at 15 and, and, and Richie at 
uh, at 10. Uh, there is some speculation that Will Jordan may not be 100% either, so we will have to see. Uh, keen to get your take on that, though. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 is the number. Michael from Tutakaka joins us. G'day, Michael. How are you? Ricardo, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, what was it you wanted to talk about uh, Well, in, um, in this talkback time? A couple of quick things. The cricket was the first one. Yep. Um, I, interesting listening to your interview with Blundell, like the pitch has dried out, it's turning, and we've gone in with no spinner. Mm. I mean, I think our problem now is that uh, Stead particularly, but probably Kane Williamson, that they're, they're thinking is all wrong. Um to me, that like you can see what Baz has done with England, but it's the same style of cricket that the Australians play. We've just become way too conservative, right? Like we've taken eight batsmen into this test and three frontline bowlers. We've we've taken no spinner. England have played a spinner in every test, and now the pitch is turning. I mean, seriously, it's it's. I think our thinking's all wrong. I think um, we need a need a need a need a change of coach. We need someone that's more progressive. I mean, Steve's done a good job, don't get me wrong, but he's been there for five years now, eh? And, you know, it's probably time for some new thinking. I just just think they're making... It's all coming down to the selection of the team, you know? Yeah, well, I think the team's regressed under Steve, to be fair. I think they've gone backwards. I know they've gone older. Uh, You know, they have gotten a bit older, but, I mean, they only lost BJ and Ross last year, but they feel like they have definitely regressed. I mean, we drew a test series at home with uh, an understrength South Africa and Bangladesh, um, which, you know, that, I mean, I losing to England and England, you know, a lot of people will lose to England and England. A lot of teams have done it over the years. A lot of good teams have done it over the years. But those two, te- uh, those two test series, particularly, big question marks. And then, as you say, around some of the selections here, particularly, I mean, if it's so obvious to England that Headingley is going to spin, that Jack Leach is bowling in the first innings after 14 overs and in the second innings takes the new ball... I mean, why aren't we seeing that? Oh, look, exactly right. For some reason, um, both William and and it's Williamson and and Stead, right? Because they're basically the selectors when they're offshore. Gavin Larson said that on the radio the other day. They've got an aversion to playing spinners. I get it when when we're in New Zealand, but we're just um, like, you know, let's be honest. We won the cricket. Um, championship that was um, that was probably more good luck than good management. You know, um, you know that should have been a drawn game. It's the only test I can remember in my lifetime that went for six days and not five. And, and the, you know the weather played a part in it. And and you know our, at the summer in New Zealand was shocking for results. We we got you know Bangladesh came out here and beat us. And it's just like we, you're right, we're just regressing. So I think a change at the top. Is due. My other question for you, because I'm not really a leaguey, but you are, was that result of the Kiwis versus Tonga a little bit underwhelming in terms of the scoreline? I mean, I, should should we have beaten them by more? We probably should have beaten them by more. I think it was a very good performance by the Kiwis, though. Um, let's get that. Right. that that's good. It was a very good performance. I don't think the conditions helped a lot. It was quite greasy and quite slippery. Uh, but, you know, I think if uh, Michael Maguire has any anything to take away in terms of work-ons from there, he'll go back and look at tape of the first 20 minutes of the second half where the Kiwis dominated possession and dominated territory and couldn't score because they probably should have. You've got to give Tonga a lot of respect as well. I mean, they have an all-star 
forward pack. They've got fantastic back line as well. They just miss a bit in the halves. So defensively, they were always going to be solid. But they probably the Kiwis will look at that and think, you know, uh, we should have maybe had another 10, 12 points on the board, I think. But I think it's uh, a, a good signs for the World Cup. And, you know, the other thing too for Tonga is they're probably where New Zealand was, say, 20 years ago, and they rely on guys playing in Super League as well, and they will be better for having those guys come in. Someone like a Tui Lolo here, um, who gives them a bit more depth and a bit more spark in the halves, I think will definitely help the Tongans. So, um, it's something to look forward to in November come the World Cup. Thanks for your call, Michael. Uh, Dean joins us out of uh, Dunners. G'day, Dean. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Really looking forward to two weeks' time when it all happens here in Dunedin. But I, I, I don't know that much about cricket, but honestly, I don't know whether it's relieving Kane Williamson of the captaincy. And I reckon we've got a similar... Kane's a real problem in two of New Zealand's most marketable sports at the moment, if I'm allowed to say so. But <laughs> one's injured and to be fair, I don't even know why he keeps playing rugby, but good on him, I guess. But he's not as good as Dalton Pobolini. Everyone knows. He must know it himself. But what's the cricket? I reckon this started in the 2020. And whether it's Kane Williamson, I don't know who has the say or who makes the decisions, but we've got a real similarity with selections. And i.e. Conway's the, you know, the leading light. For two years, we're talking about him coming into the New Zealand cricket team and finally solidifying the opening with Latham. And he hasn't opened yet, really. They put him at four. Mitchell opens in the 2020, which was an absolute disaster. Like, all he was was a Clydesdale at the start, and he finished magnificently. Now he's playing where he's supposed to play, and they can't get him out. Why? Who's making these decisions? Like, that's the problem. Like, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say to Bevan Conway, now, where do you want to bat, mate? And he says, I'd love to open, Bez. Well, Bez isn't going to say, well, you're not. I'm putting you at six. Yeah. To me, it's in the All Blacks as well. Like, Will Jordan, I've been harping on at this for ages. He's the best 15, if not in the world, definitely in New Zealand, without a doubt. Will, jo- I mean, Geordie Barrett is a magnificent rugby player, but he does some silly things at fullback. And at 12, for me, he's looking okay. I think skill set, and we've failed at it lots of times trying to put fullback into 13, but I think Will Jordan would, I mean, Geordie Barrett, sorry, would go there really, really well. But he's not doing a bad fist of it at 12. But once again, because his brother would rather lower his golf handicap than go out and practice a professional rugby player and get every kick over the goalposts, he wasn't that bad. But he just said, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm not playing 15, but I'm playing 10. And I don't get it. I don't, I don't, the professional sportsmen, like the coaches actually are the boss, I would have thought. And if I was Bowden Barrett's boss, I'd be saying, mate, I don't give a stuff about your golf. Go get the ball over the goalpost because you won't kick. We've got to muck around the whole back line because of you. Now, he's an outstanding rugby player and a real good bugger. So he can do it. He's done it before. Well, I don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think on Geordie, to be fair, I, I, I agree that previously Geordie had a mistake in him at fullback. He, he kind of wanted to play hero ball a lot, but felt like he got rid of that last year, and I thought he was outstanding at fullback last year. Um, so, and, and I think with the high ball that the Irish are going to give us, you know, they see him as being a, a safe option under that. So I, I can kind of see where they're going. But it's going to be interesting. Then I don't know if you've heard this, but um, David Harvey and Jack Goodhue, uh, alongside Ian Foster and John Plumtree, are all positive for COVID and are all isolating. I've also heard there's a couple more who are symptomatic um, in the back line as well. So it's going to impact on this first test by the by the looks of things. So 
if you've got no um, Harvey and no Goodhue, I know that probably would have been your first choice midfield. Dean, um, do you, do you, yeah, I mean, that, there's some questions there. I mean, and I've heard that um, Will Jordan has is not 100%. Quintu Pyre might not be 100% either. Um, and I mean, so if Jordan's not 100% and you've got no midfield, then, then what do you do? I mean, potentially they have to play Bowden at 15 and Geordie at 12. Well, we give Ben Stokes a ring and say, can you come over and play rugby for New Zealand? Because what did he say when Kane got COVID? You can't actually get it if you don't do a test. <laughs> well, I'm not sick of this COVID, to be brutally honest. You know, like, I don't think that's quite how it like works, that. Dean, but yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, cheers for your call, yeah, mate. Right. Keep them coming through. 0800-150-811. A Richard from Mawamaru is with us. G'day, Richard. How are you doing? Hey, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. What are you wanting to talk today? Oh, I think that we need to start um, addressing this issue when it comes to our spinners, Ricardo, because, you know, when we look back on this three-test series, we've seen Ajaz Patel only bowl two overs. And I just think that that's just not good enough when it comes to Kane and Sid, because, you know, how can they come out and say that we want to, when it comes to this, in this third test, we were like, all right, we're going to pick a specialist spinner. But, you know, I don't buy that for one bit, Ricardo, because at the end of the day, well, you know, why are we picking Michael Bracewell when we've got AJ's Patel just sitting there waiting in the wings, wanting to play? Mm. You know, when it comes to um, 8 to 11, they're there to take wickets. They're not there to, to score runs. It's just an added bonus. Like, we seem to be so obsessed with lower-order runs. And it's like, when it comes to Kane Williamson, it's just his inability that he just doesn't have any faith in a spinner. It's like, how are we honestly ever going to develop a spinner on our side if we're going to have that kind of attitude coming from our captain you know that's where I think that's the forefront of the problem that needs to be addressed because you know for me personally if we're going to going forward like I know we've won the world test championship like in you know when it comes to you know our pace bowlers but going forward we seriously need to start picking a spinner more often and in different conditions and that means playing them here back at home on a green summer so they they can learn to adapt to all pitches either here or across the world, Ricardo? Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree with you at all. There definitely needs to be some new thinking. Um, and I think, you know, Gary Stead carries the can on some of that. I also think Kane Williamson carries oh. the can. I mean, from everything I understand, he has the final say on selection. Um, Ajaz Patel took 10 for, as we know, in India. He's gotten two overs in this entire test series and hasn't played in either of the last two which uh, seems criminal to me especially when you see what Jack Leach has done for the Poms particularly in this test. Hey Richard thanks very much for your call. No worries Ricardo, all good. Cheers uh, Richard there with us. Uh, 0800-150-811 is our phone number. Double eight double three is the text line and this one has just come through as well. Ricardo, is it a case of other teams playing a spinner against us because we struggle against spin no matter the conditions? It's getting apparent we need some new thought process and management. A new coach for sure. Who should be the captain after Kane slash Tom? That's a really good question. Thanks for your text. you got a thought on that. Double eight double three. That is the temper bedpost text machine temper and bedposts like no other a range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort Zealand's number one selling side by side brand summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ it is seven away from 10 o'clock here on mornings with Smithy Ricardo Ball in for him uh, we've got a 
bunch of texts to get through here. On double eight double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine, the Black Caps are burning through the capital they have fast, just like a middle-aged male after winning Powerball who blows it on his 20-something glamorous girlfriend. Uh, thanks, Richie, for that. Uh, Brad has uh, texted this through. Black Caps aren't evolving, not really changing with the times. Stead has to go or at least be on thin ice. Williamson may have to relinquish the captaincy to work on his game as well. I don't back Latham as captain either. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the second text we've had saying who uh, can we look at as a captain that's not Latham or Kane? And if people see them as too safe in terms of, uh, you know, too, uh, what's the what's the word? Um, they basically, they don't take risks. Maybe they're, they're risk averse. And uh, it seems to be the way, you know, like a Baz or a Stephen Fleming would go, is you do take them. Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's coming up 10 o'clock here on SCNZ Mornings with Smithy. He is away. Uh, Ricardo Ball in for him. A couple more texts that have come through from Craig in the Bay of Plenty. Hi, Ricardo. Kane wouldn't be my test captain for two reasons. One, he doesn't trust or use spinners. And two, I'd want him to concentrate on being the best batsman in the team. And then this one, the Black Caps need to get Fleming or Baz as coach if we can. And if not, we need to get Hessen back, but Stead needs to go. Thanks for your texts. Keep them coming in on double eight double three. That is the Temper Bed Post text machine. In the next hour, we're going to be talking uh, to Rick Salito. That's right. It's not just one Ricardo, it's two. It's Ricardo by the power of two. After 10 o'clock, out of New York, he is the CEO of Rugby New York in Major League Rugby. New Zealand for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ellis gets involved, forcing a knock-on. And New York, the concrete jungle where dreams are made of. One of the greatest cities in the world are now home to the champions of Major League Rugby. It's been four years in the making and a new chapter in MR history written by these Warriors. And what a send-off for Rugby World Cup winner, All Black legend Andy Ellis in his last ever professional game. Yes, New York's on fire indeed. Four past ten here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. Smithy is away, Ricardo Paul in for him. And uh, just because we didn't feel like one Ricardo was enough to get us through our Monday morning, uh, Ricardo Salizzo is uh, joining us. Uh, the CEO, the big boss man of New York Rugby. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A little bit tired. I, I bet. Uh, did, you, did you sleep at all or are you still going? No, no, I'm uh, I'm the responsible one. In fact, I was talking to one of his players, and he was telling me about his father. And then I realised I'm the same age as his father. So, um, yeah, no, I was I was home on the couch at uh, nine thirty last night. It was a it was a midday kickoff, which was fantastic. So, uh, uh, finished up early. Yeah, mate. Well, congratulations. Um, it must be incredibly rewarding to get over the line and win the first championship with Rugby New York. All the work that you've put in to that franchise over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's a really tough competition. Like, there's um, so it's so equal. Some all the teams are pretty are pretty equal, and there's a lot of travel 
you know, and they're long distances, you know. So when we go to the West Coast, it's a sort of six-hour flight, and you do that on the Friday and play on the Saturday. So it's a, it's a draining competition for everyone, and it, it seems like it goes forever. I mean, we started uh, early January, um, and we've only just finished. So, uh, um, yeah, and <clears throat> for us, um, Andy Ellis, you know, the all-black halfback, crusader legend, uh, this one was for him, that uh, he came over with me, you know, a couple of years ago and and uh, has been alongside me and and just, you know, I always knew he was a great player and, and uh, you know, watching him from afar and, and watching what he'd achieved with the Crusaders and the All Blacks, but without a doubt, one of the greatest rugby men I've ever met in my life and uh, and and the boys were determined to put him out in, in the style he deserved. Well, Rick, we all know that you could sm- uh, you could sell ice uh, to to people who live in the Arctic Circle, my friend. Um, have 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 you have you started the charm offensive yet? Is he signing off on one more? Well, you know, I think he's one hundred and seven now, so I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I um, I live in the same apartment block, and and I'd see him the day after a game. You know, he's one of those guys that never shows any pain, but. You'd see him. It's as I say, it's a tough competition. We play on the AstroTurf a lot, you know, so it's tough on the bodies. Um, I can think of no better way for him to finish. You know, mm. he he scored a try, was man of the match, was the guy that forced the the turnover at the end of the game. It was just like a, a fairy tale, and uh, it was everything he deserves. It was it was Roy of the Rovers, but rugby basically. Yeah, yeah. God, you are old. I remember Roy the Rovers, <laughs> Tiger Magazine. I am old, mate. I am old. It is official. It is official. Um, what next then for, for Andy? Does he have a role in the organisation or do you think he'll come home? Oh, uh, look, I mean, probably both, you know. Um, you know, he's he'll be the first person I talk to um, uh, all about rugby batters. He's, he's, yeah, he's just, just got such a, a, a great mind uh, for the game, but he's such a competitor. And uh, you know, he just he just when when I brought him over, one of the reasons I brought him over is because he's a great teacher. He teaches everyone around him about how to play the game, the skills required, but what it is to be a top pro. And um, yeah, so he's he's obviously been one of our better players, but he's influenced every other player in the squad. You know, be them U.S. Eagles players or the two young American halfbacks that we've got, um, you know, he'll certainly leave his mark. Uh, you, he's not the only uh, former All Black in the ranks, of course, Waisaki Naholo and Nehi Milner-Scutter over there as well, mate. Are they are they there long-term? Do you think you'll have them next season? Yeah, well, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, um, they, they came over for, for the tail end of the season. Um, you know, um, two of my favourite players, actually, to watch and... Uh, and again, great men, you know. And so they came over, and I think we had five or six games to go, and we had some injuries, and and um, you know, at the time there were no opportunities for them in Super, so um, that they weren't, they just weren't playing, and and uh, and we needed some some players, and and they put their hands up, and yeah, they just slotted them beautifully, and uh, and yeah, been it's fantastic to have them here. 
In terms of um, what next for for New York rugby, mate? I mean, what is it? Or rugby New York, as I, as I should say it correctly. But you've you've lifting the uh, MLR shield for the first time. Is this the first step on the road to some sort of dynasty? What, what what's the planning look like for you right now? Yeah, so it's um, what uh, Sunday here. Um, I'll have the rest of the afternoon off, and then we'll get into it on Monday. Um, I think all the clubs here, we're all trying to beat each other, obviously, but, but at the same time, there's this massive sense of responsibility about being part of the growth of rugby in the US and, you know, with the World Cup coming here in 2031. Um, yesterday was a great game. Seattle really came to play, um, and we, we were lucky enough to be able to play it on Red Bull Arena, which is one of the best stadiums I've ever been involved in my life you know i mean new zealand should come and have a look at this stadium it is just incredible you know it's a 25 seat stadium 25,000 seat stadium something like that um the facilities are just second to none and the the field was incredible so and so um you know we were really conscious that uh it was important that it was a high quality game um because we wanted to show that that american rugby and major league rugby and and, and everything that's associated with it is is on the way up, and it certainly is. Now, round around, I mean, I talked to you a little while ago uh, about the competition. And round around, you're getting you know home games, maybe a couple of thousand to a home game. I mean, Red Bull Arena is a big stadium, mate. I mean, what was the crowd like for this uh, Major League Rugby Grand Final? Yeah, we had similar sort of two to three thousand. Um, it's um, it was. Uh, because we, we only knew that we were playing there. Um, so we qualified on a Sunday, um, and then on Monday I had to start looking for a stadium. Oh. And uh, so in New York, you, you don't survive if you don't think big. So the first call was to MetLife Stadium, uh, which is about, I don't know, 100,000 capacity, 90,000, I don't know, it's huge. Um, uh, they, had, they, had, they were booked up. Um, so then the next one was Red Bull Arena. Um, so yeah, so we we just said yeah, we'll we'll take it. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, we'll make it look good, mate. Make it look good. Let's let's try and fill it. Let's try and fill it. I mean, the Seattle SeaWolves. I don't know how 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 much support they brought with them, but they're a major league rugby uh, organization who certainly are in, moving in the right direction. They've been quite dominant over there, and they have a an agreement, I believe, with the Crusaders in terms of. Um, Maybe loaning a couple of players and getting some coaching know-how and, and and a bit of an exchange program going on, is that something that you've looked into with uh, Rugby New York as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that uh, that that was in the early stages. So Seattle won the first two competitions. They're they're they're, they're a great organisation, and um, in the early days they did have that link. I'm not sure if it's there anymore. I do know one of their players um, uh, from Tasman. Um, so Tasman brought a young team across couple of years ago and and he made an impression he he got signed um we have a really great relationship with with quite a few of the new zealand uh franchises and and unions um so you know we have a couple of players from manawatu um you know of the young blues first five and jack hayton um a a young um up-and-coming otago lock and will tucker you know those two guys are um you know, I'd love to see them back, but I'd also love to see them playing Super Rugby next season. Mm. Um, this is a great opportunity to, for New Zealand players because 
our season dovetails nicely with the uh, MPC. And so, you know, a handful of our players will come up here and play and then they'll come back and play MPC. So that gives them a 12-month-of-the-year contract. Um, and and it's also a great opportunity for, for guys on the way up, you know, that are perhaps not – which maybe weighing up between holding tackle bags in a wider training group with Super Rugby or they're coming up here, getting out of your comfort zone and – really getting some rhythm to your game by playing week after week. And that's what's happened to Jack Hayton. You know, he's a young North Harbour um, 10 who's, um, you know, played for us most weeks, started most weeks. And really, you know, again, playing outside Andy Ellis has just been so good for his development. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what he does when he gets back for North Harbour and, and hopefully into Super Rugby. I mean, for Kiwis who haven't watched much of it, what's the level like for Major League Rugby? Is it sort of equivalent to NPC? Yeah, I think so. It's a it's a hard one to say because you know you have some good games and bad games in, in any competition, but you know, um, yeah, I, I think um, a, a, a good game of MLR rugby is certainly equivalent to a good game of NPC. And um, there's some really good players over here, not not just from New Zealand, but from South Africa and 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 um, you know England and um, Australia and but. But the quality of the domestic players is really high too. They're really it's because you know if you're playing for San Diego, you, you're learning from Ma Nonu, you know, and Chris Robshaw. So, um, you know, if you're at, um, you know, in um, Houston, you're being coached by Heineke Meyer. So, it's really the the foreign players over here and the foreign coaches are really helping grow the American players. I think we've got three or four guys out of our squad that are in the, in the Eagles team at the moment um, and um, a couple in the, in the wider training group that will probably get a game this season. So that's that's an area where these guys are really are really helping is the, 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 the standard of American players. We've got a, a Canadian wing, uh, Andrew Coe, who I, you know, I think he'd be comfortable playing super rugby. So, um, you know, there are some good domestic players here. In terms of um, the, the the structure and things, I mean, we're looking at the moment. You know, Australia are making noises about after twenty twenty three, they're saying goodbye to New Zealand and, and striking out on their own. And the question has been asked about what did, what does New Zealand rugby do uh, if if that happens? Uh, a lot of talk about obviously the islands having a lot of players, but you need money and broadcast revenue. And the US looks like a place that you could go for that. I mean, how far away do you think the US are from being ready to have maybe a couple of Super Rugby teams that could run around? In a competition like that? Yeah, I mean, for the first thing, you know, I'm, I'm never quite sure if, you know, you, you worry too much about what you're hearing out of Australian rugby officials. They're, they're pretty good at, at, <laughs> at um, smoke screens and, and, and winding you up. Um, you know, I haven't met an Australian that can't wind a, a Kiwi up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, look, I think, I think definitely, you know, there's some opportunities. Um, I think, you know, over time you'll see that the traditional power bases of, um, you know, the, the Northern Hemisphere in the UK, um, then, you know, the Southern Hemisphere, New Zealand, Australia, <clears throat> the thing that's in the middle of both of them is the US. Um, you know, we're, I mean, we're just as close to London as we are to Los Angeles. Mm. So, so, you know, I think, and um, LA is not too far away from Auckland. No. Uh, so, 
so there's some real opportunities there in the future. I think uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see what does happen from there. And you're right about Hamish McLennan. We had uh, Jeremy Paul on, who said it, it was the worst idea he had ever heard, uh, but uh, which, which was which was quite good. Um, uh, what about you, Rick? Just finally, I mean, you're obviously you're loving life in New York, um, and, and you're CEO of Rugby New York. But I mean, have you got aspirations outside of that? I mean, uh, are you going to come back here and rattle some cages and take over a you know as a CEO of a Super Rugby team at some point? And, and work your way up. Could you imagine it? Oh, no. Like I, 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 I didn't actually quite plan on having this job. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do love living in New York, and um, it, it's a really interesting place. That you know, in New Zealand, we're the masters of understatement, and we really, you know, have this humility, and it's really important that, that you don't ever. Um, Tell anyone how good you are here in New York. It's exactly the opposite. <laughs> you know, you behave like that. People just trample over you. Um, you know, if you don't think big, if you don't go hard, then then people just don't respect you. And I'm learning. I'm learning every day over here. Um, it's the the centre of the world in terms of sports marketing and fan engagement. And um, you know, every time you go to a game. You go to a Brooklyn Nets game, the next day you get a phone call from someone seeing if you enjoyed it. And then you get an email saying, you know, how you know, send us a, your thoughts on your experience. And by the way, do you want to buy five more tickets? Um, and then once they've got you, you know, I'm getting offered. <clears throat> I got a, um, a ticket offer to the um, Brooklyn Nets arena for like three different rappers, none of whom I've heard of, um, <laughs> but all of whom I've been told are quite a big deal. So... Um, I'm I'm happy here learning and and um and just having some fun, you know. But um but you know, I mean New Zealand's home and, and uh I can't wait to get back at some stage and and uh see what happens next. Yeah, good stuff, Rick. Hey listen, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate it on your Sunday. We'll let you go and uh continue to, to uh nurse last night, mate. Uh, but congratulations again and look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks, Ricardo, and thanks for reminding me of what day it was. <laughs> no problem at all. It is uh, 20 past 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Smithy. You know Smithy, uh, but you have got me through till midday today. And up next, we uh, take on the panel. And the panel today, uh, we're talking rugby league, we're talking All Blacks and COVID, and we're talking a bit of cricket as well. Yeah, welcome into the panel, James Regan and Ollie Ritchie. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, of course, uh, the news coming out this morning, slowly leaking out that we have COVID in the All Black camp. Uh, no Ian Foster, no John Plumtree. They're isolating at home. David Harvili and Jack Goodhue aren't with the team. Brayden Enor has been called into the squad. Uh, I think I've seen more people worried about uh, who's going to coach the team? Then worry about who's going to play in midfield. So many calls for get Razor in, get Razor in. Ollie, I know that you you you'll be on that bandwagon, mate. Way, what what do you think uh, the All Blacks will do? Have they got enough in you know old Stormy McLeod to, to to run the ship if they need to against Ireland? Yeah, I, I think they do, uh, Ricardo. I think uh, by the sounds of it, it'll be um, Brad Moore and and Scott McLeod um, kind of acting as co coaches during the week. In a way, Ian Foster will still have input over Zoom, as will as will John Plumtree, um, as much input as you can possibly have over Zoom. Um, but yeah, I certainly 
understand Brad Moore and Scott McLeod will act as co-coaches during the week. Look, it's not ideal. Of, of course, it's not. Um, you know, first test of the year against Ireland, obviously. You know, the storyline around that redemption and um, after what happened in Dublin, it's far from ideal losing two coaches and, and two All Blacks. Um, but, you know, this is the world we live in now, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, it's, it's no great surprise to see at some point uh, these guys go down with it. It's just unfortunate that, that it's happened when it has happened. Um, but, you know, they'll find a way. Uh, they, they always do. But, um, yeah, certainly not ideal. Not an ideal way to start. Not an ideal way to start at all. And, James, uh, of course... I think there's a lot of people, particularly from Ollie's part of the world, that would have said David Harvey and Jack Goodhue should be the All Black starting midfield. They're obviously not available. So the question is, what happens now? I know you love your rugby league. Is Roger Tuivasa-Shek the answer? Is he ready to start a test against the Irish at 12? Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's probably the, the position you would not want to miss out um, on at the moment with those two guys, especially... David Havili was probably my pick for number 12 with, with Ioane at 13. So maybe maybe they do have to call Roger in. It would shock me if he starts and, and probably even plays in this first test as bad as it is. Um, it is a bit of a disaster for the All Blacks and their, their ability, their famed ability to, to improvise and, and to kind of um, overcome these challenges will be really tested against what I expect to be a really good Ireland side. So, yeah, it, it's... It's a huge blow for those guys, no doubt, especially, I think, missing Havili and Goodhue. That, that's just massive for them. Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that have been confirmed. The information I had before the All Blacks made uh, an official statement was that Quintu Pyre and Will Jordan were also uh, questionable, um, and I don't know if that's COVID or something else. Um, but obviously that that brings up uh, something else, the Oli. I mean, if that is true and those two aren't available... I think a lot of people were going, well, maybe you play Geordie at 12 um, and, and Will Jordan can play at fullback. But if he's not available, what do they do? I mean, do they play Mwanga at 10 and play Bodie at 15? Is that an option? Yeah, well, um, it, it's, it's offering up all sorts of conundrums, really, isn't it? Um, I understand Quintu Pai may have taken a knock during camp in Mount Monganui, their first camp there. Um, and so that may not be COVID-related. It may be COVID-related, of course, um, you know, because with that virus, when one's got it, two's got it, then four and five have got it before you know it, so it can spread pretty easily. Um, look, I would be probably bringing Joy Barrett into the midfield. Uh, I know Foster said that he doesn't see him as a 12, um, but, you know, they find themselves in, in, a, in a situation where they're going to have to think differently, I think. Um, so if that is the case, you know, I, I'm still not convinced rushing Roger Tuivasa-Shek into the starting lineup is the answer. Uh, you've got Geordie Barrett, who's an experienced All Black, has played at 12, not for the All Blacks, but for the Hurricanes this season. I would slot him in there, move Will Jordan to fullback if Will Jordan uh, is available. If Will Jordan's not available, then you're looking at a podium to fullback Richie Moinga to, to start at 10. The good thing is the All Blacks have all these options, and in a funny way, all their experimenting that they've done over the past couple of years with the whole, you know, dual playmakers, Bowden at 15, Richie at 10, you know, it's almost like starting to pay dividends right now because they can fall back on those guys to go back into those positions if need be. I'd say that's the most likely outcome. 
if indeed Quintu Pyre and Will Jordan find themselves uh, unable to play as well. Yeah, indeed. It's coming up 10.30. We've got uh, news and sport with Araha. This is the panel. When we come back, we'll continue to talk international rugby with the Māori All Blacks in action on Wednesday against the Touring Irish. We'll also talk rugby league and cricket with the panel after this. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. James Regan and Ollie Ritchie with us on the panel today. And Ollie, uh, New Zealand, well, I was going to say New Zealand Māori, I'm still getting used to saying the Māori All Blacks are in action on Wednesday. We, of course, uh, saw them uh, pick up some reinforcements last week. And I know one of those will have you pretty excited. Do you expect Callan Grace to be starting at eight now that he's been called in on Wednesday? Yeah, absolutely I do. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for a guy like Cullen Grace, badly unlucky uh, to miss out on the All Blacks, been one of the Crusaders' best all year and and showed at the business end of that super season. You know, particularly I look back on the semi-final and final performance, real statement performances from Cullen Grace, I think. Um, He will be playing at eight for the Multi All Blacks, a big chance against uh, Ireland for him to, to, to show those All Black coaches who, you know, a couple of those selectors will, will have a bit of time on their hands now to, to watch a bit more code while they isolate at home um, to show them just what they're missing out on. Um, you know, I think he is in the All Blacks picture. There is no doubt about that. We haven't seen the last of Cullen Grace in an All Blacks jersey. So, you know, in a way, his, his timely call up to the Māori All Blacks just presents that opportunity once again to, to yeah, to show them uh, what they're missing out on, and, and the same can be said for, for Brad Weber and, and TJ Pedernada. Brad Weber will get the nod at, at, at halfback, I understand, and, and TJ Pedernada coming off the bench, you know, both uh, who, who are desperate to fight their way back into the All Blacks frame and, and showing and Foster and Co that they can still be a part of the All Blacks future, even with that logjam. They have it at halfback at the moment. So it's a big series, a couple of tests coming up for a lot of those All Blacks who are sitting on the fringe at the moment that are trying to break in. Yeah, it's a, an interesting one too, uh, James, that we saw Sam not called up from the Blues, who's of course been under, understudy to Finlay Christie um, as a third halfback option for the Māori All Blacks. I mean, for me, he's, uh, he's not a bad player, but he certainly hasn't set it alight. I thought they might have brought in somebody a bit younger to give them a taste of that sort of environment, someone like a Cortez Ratama. Um, what, did you, what did you think of that call-up? Yeah, it was interesting, and it kind of just, what it does show is the stack of halfbacks um, <laughs> that we've got at our disposal at the moment. Um, it's pretty hard. It's a pretty hard group to break into. So any experience you can give any of the, of those guys you mentioned, Cortez, exactly. You know, so um, it'd be great to see him called up eventually and given a go. But um, one thing's for sure: if you want to break into that group of top halfbacks at the moment, you, you're going to have to be really on your game. So it's a good chance for a lot of these guys. Um, the side of series to show that and getting towards the World Cup which is going to come around pretty fast so you, you get the feeling there's not much uh, not much room for mistakes at the moment as well No, there's not much room at all in fact I just uh, have seen the uh, team has actually officially been announced now uh, for Wednesday's game Ollie Norris, Kurt Eklund, Tyrell Lomax the front row, Josh Dixon Isaiah Walker, Leah Weddy the locks, uh, Cameron Suafoa Billy Harmon and Cullen Grace, the Lucys, Brad Webber, Josh Uwani are the halves, and Connor Garden Bashup and Sean Stevenson are the wings with Rameka Puyapi and Billy Proctor in the midfield. Zan Sullivan playing fullback, Tyrone Thompson, Tamiti Williams, uh, Jermaine Ainsley, Manaki Selby Rickett, 
TK Howden, TJ Piranata, Ruben Love and Balin Sullivan are the reserves. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's uh, take a look at uh, some rugby league. We had, James, a great game, well, a couple of great games actually, on Saturday night at Mount Smart Stadium. And, boy, I wonder where all the Kiwi League fans were because I know where all the Tongan League fans were. <laughs> Yeah, they were they were pretty hard to miss, weren't they? Um, yeah, it, it was. Regardless of, of the action on the field, first of all, it, it was a great day um, for New Zealand Rugby League off it, and that they should be applauded for how they kind of rolled that out. I think they had eight weeks to get that day together, um, and the media they they gave access um, during the week was amazing too. And um, so off the field, it was really good, but on the field, man, the Kiwis. They they look really good. They look really good, and they should be really excited for this World Cup coming up. It's probably it's it's very early, but it's probably theirs to lose. Bearing in mind that the Kangaroos might not get a game before that World Cup as well. So Michael Maguire will be really happy with what he saw. Um, and in terms of the the fans, you're right. Um, there were a stack of Tongans in there. I think I saw maybe a handful of Kiwis, but um, in terms of the atmosphere, I'm going to the All Blacks game next week as a fan. And I know the uh, New Zealand rugby PR team could only dream of getting an atmosphere like that for the pre-match huckers. It was just, it was next level. I yeah. think it was twenty-seven thousand or something. It, it sounded like it was fifty. It was, it was insane. Yeah, I was doing sideline commentary from it. It was pretty, pretty damn loud down there. Got to be said. Uh, I mean, Ollie, it feels like. Uh, I mean, I know we're talking rugby league, but there's probably going to be uh, as much green as there is black um, at Eden Park on the weekend. Uh, but what did you make of that and, and the crowd and, and the way that the Kiwis performed against that Tongan side? Yeah, I agree with everything that uh, Jimmy just alluded to there. The, the, I wasn't at the game. I was, I was watching from home. But uh, just on the TV, it looked amazing. Um, it's a sea of red. The All Blacks will be hoping they don't see a sea of green at, at Eden Park. Um, and, and I don't think it'll quite be, quite be like that. But yeah, man... When, when those Tongan fans come out, they are just really special and, and they make that atmosphere so great. And, um, you know, the, the Mata Mata Tonga would have got a, got a huge lift from that, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the Kiwis, um, that, was, that was exactly what I wanted to see in a World Cup year. And, it, you know, it's, it's easy to, think, to remember, to forget, rather, that you know, there hasn't been international rugby league for, for quite some time. So uh, for them to, to put a performance like that out there, um, yeah, that... that almost puts them, you know, maybe not as World Cup favourites because the Kangaroos will be really good, but they should be feeling very confident uh, ahead of that World Cup. Um, God, Johnny Mato at fullback was impressive, wasn't he? Mm, yeah, 404 metres it's been updated to according to the official stats he ran for, which I think is the first time in International Rugby League that somebody has run for that much, uh, that many metres. Yeah, uh, just... Uh, ridiculous how, uh, how many metres he ran for and this, the sort of effort he put in. Um, you know, that was a bit of an experiment, I'm sure, and, and you know, there were probably a few options to, to take the one jersey to the Kiwis, but, you know, Michael Maguire must be feeling pretty good about, you know, what he can put out and, and the performance his team can put out and, you know, get a, a bit more time together, right, and, a, a, you know, a few weeks in camp and, you know, heading off, heading off to a World Cup, that team could be, could be really dangerous. Yeah, they're looking really good. Uh, well, we should talk about one more Kiwi team before we finish on the panel, gentlemen, and that is the Black Caps. They haven't been looking particularly dangerous. But i tell you what has been, is that, and that's a spinner at Headingley, a guy who can uh, bowl with a ball that's 13 overs old in the first innings and take Pfeiffer, and then can take the new ball in the second innings and take Pfeiffer 10 for the match. If only, uh, James, there was a spinner in the Black Caps squad that was able to take 10 for in a match that we could have played here. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it makes you think, uh, doesn't it? I think that that'll probably be the thing we get out of this series when it comes to the Black Caps, right? Is, is the selections and and where this team kind of goes because you they're the best team in the world. That that there's absolutely no doubt about that when it comes to overall test rankings and everything. But um, you've got to progress, right? And you've got to be able to adapt, and you've got to be able to bring someone in, um, and you've got to be brave as well with selection sometimes. So it's worked. The system they've they've gone for worked for the past however many years, four or five years. But now maybe it's it's probably time to think about bringing bring something different or being being able to bring something different to that because England have yeah they just. They've made it look fairly easy at times, haven't they? They have. Uh, I mean, you know, one of our own showing us up a wee bit, uh, Ollie, in, in the way that Baz has had this English team playing. He's, he's had them playing like New Zealand used to play. It feels like we've got a bit stayed under Gary Stead. Uh, I mean, we've, we're going to get swept in England in the Test Series, and we've drawn home Test Series against both Bangladesh and a, and a South African team that is rebuilding. Is it time for a change? Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Bruno McCullum impact. I didn't think we'd quite be seeing Joe Root sweep or reverse sweeping Neil Wagner for six as early as we are, yet <laughs> uh, this is the, the bold and brave new English team we're, we're encountering. Um, questions need to be asked. Our selection is all over the show. We give, we pick a spinner for Lords, we bowl him for two overs, we don't pick Neil Wagner for the first two tests, a known wicket-taker for the Black Caps. And then we, we find ourselves in the third test, an older ball, that's doing a bit, and we don't have uh, our specialist spinner in the team. I mean, what are we doing? What is Gary Stead doing? It's just getting ridiculous at the moment. And, you know, this is a proud Black Caps team with a, with a very uh, passionate fan base back here who have done some amazing things over the past few years. But just right now, it seems like things are not clicking. I don't know whether it's, you know, Stead and, and, and Tay not singing from the same song sheet or what, uh, but... Yeah, I think questions need to be asked because we have not got the selections right at all uh, over this test series and we're paying for it because we're being outplayed, outmatched, um, outmuscled, outfought uh, by what is now a very good England team uh, and, and one of our best to uh, so wear the, the silver fern is, is helping mastermind it. So, yeah, yeah it, it's not been pretty. No, he's managed to turn Stuart Broad into Trent Bolt with a bat too, which is impressive. So, uh, uh, you know, which, which is always good to see. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the panel today. I really appreciate your time. I know, Ollie, you'll be chasing AB stories, and James, you'll be, be keeping busy as well off the back of Origin last night. I'll let you two gentlemen go so you can get on with uh, your days, but I really appreciate your time. Go well. Thanks, Thank you, appreciate mate. it. Appreciate it. There we go. Uh, James Regan and Ollie Ritchie, both from News Hub, there with us on the panel today. It is 17 away from 11. Get your texts in double eight double three double eight double three. Your takeaways from the panel on the Temper Bedpost text machine. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we're 12 away from 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Smithy and. Uh, Thank you, New Zealand, for making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side. Brand Smithy hopefully will be back on deck for you tomorrow. We'll see how he's feeling. I think he was losing his voice, from what I understand. A couple of texts come through on 8833. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Ricardo, great to see Cameron uh, saw fire at six for the Mouldy with Billy Harmon and Cullen Grace in the loose. Cheers, Ken. Yeah, thanks, Ken. There's a pretty strong-looking uh, Mouldy side. Unfortunately, with all the um, talk around... 
what's happening with the All Blacks and COVID, etc., where that one slipped through because it basically came out at the same time as the All Black announcement or the All Black uh, comment about Ian Foster, etc., uh, being ill. But uh, yeah, 10 debutants named in this Māori All Blacks team, uh, two brothers in there, and Balin and Zan Sullivan. Balin off the bench, Zan starting at 15. Uh, it's the Māori All Blacks' first test against the Irish since 2010. And, uh, yeah, that match day 23 looks pretty strong. If you missed it earlier, Ollie Morris, Kurt Eklund and Tyrell Lomax is the front row. Then Josh Dixon and Isaiah Walker-Leawiri are the locks. Uh, Cameron Suafoa, Billy Harmon and Cullen Grace are the Lucys. Brad Weber is at halfback. Josh Yuani is at 10. And then Connor Garden, Bashup and Sean Stevenson are the wings. Rameka Puipi and Billy Proctor are the centres. And then you've got Zan Sullivan at fullback. Tyrone Thompson uh, out of the Hawks Bay uh, is the reserve hooker alongside Tamiiti Williams and Jermaine Ainsley. They're the reserve prop. Samanaki Selby Rickett is the reserve lock. TK Howden will cover uh, the loose forwards off the bench. Uh, TJ Peranara, Ruben Love and Balin Sullivan are the rest, uh, the back reserves there. So that uh, Māori All Blacks team looking uh, pretty good uh, let us know what you think. Double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine. Double eight double three, and get us your thoughts through on that. Coming up shortly, we're going to have a love racing update with Louis Herman Watt. New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Five away from 11, Louis Herman Watt is with us. And uh, Louis, I'm picking, uh, you would have been right behind the Taylor family and uh, their success with Juan Devo over the weekend. Yeah, big time, mate. That was a great win, actually. And I guess all in all, at this time of year, you get different results, but... um, that to get a winner in Queensland before Juan Devo or before the kind of, I guess, our, one of our last Kiwi connections as the racing, it was the last group one of the year, the calendar year for Australia and New Zealand up there. And to have Brenton Cherry getting that result with Juan Devo and the Trelawney Colours was awesome. Back here, it was winners on the other end of the scale where we had horse that had, was bought for $500 at Caraca, um, winning the Amberley Cup down at Rickerton. Saini Bill won the Phillies Amirs feature at Tauranga for the Central Districts and at 44 bucks. So there was winners for everyone, not just the kind of powerhouses or the big studs in racing, which you love to see, Rick. And um, honestly, winter racing, it throws a little bit of everything up. I, I must say I found it pretty hard. Anyone that's listening to this and was listening to the mail run or no, we didn't have the best luck, really. I mean, we were there or thereabouts, but, geez, it's just sometimes these tracks, get so heavy and you really don't know what horse is going to be able to sort of horse is going to be able to get through it and i guess that's actually an interesting point around the track rating system we've gone to we've paired up and married up with australia's but we don't have that heavy 11 anymore or that kind of extra heavy um that one last heavy track rating to use for these bottomless winter tracks like todonga was but i don't know if it makes that much of a difference i think it makes it slightly confusing um, other than that, obviously, just the number being what you need to look at, whether it's a dead or a good track. Uh, what else to tell you, Rick? I could look at the calendar for you. We got Cambridge 
we got Cambridge Synthetic on Wednesday. We've got Rickland Synthetic on Thursday. Then we're at New Plymouth on Friday. Uh, a long time between drinks for New Plymouth Raceway since that race was, that, that track was deemed unsafe. And then Ruakaka and Hastings, a couple of great winter venues that seem to drive better than most uh, on Saturday. So the winter racing rolls on, big man. Good stuff, Louis. Look forward to hearing the mail run again on Saturday and getting some better tips from your loveracing.nz, uh, your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Time to catch up with Paulie Mawadi now from the TAB. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Paulie, uh, big night last night in State of Origin, and I'm picking there'll be a lot of uh, New Zealand-based Queensland fans who lost a lot of money. Uh, to be fair, there are quite a few uh, New South Wales, uh, New Zealand-based fans uh, who made quite a lot of money last night. So um, don't worry about that. There's a number of punters out there who have a few dollars in their pocket after New South Wales absolutely steamrolled uh, Queensland uh, in that second state origin match, and which is great because it sets it up uh, for the big one, uh, game three. And I can tell you already they've come for um, New South Wales uh, already, they're a dollar sixty-seven favourites in Queensland uh, to win that game. Queensland two dollars and fifteen cents, but punters all over New South Wales at the moment loving them at a dollar sixty-seven and also minus two and a half points. So. Uh, looking for the big turnaround for New South Wales to win game two and three. Yeah, the New South Wales Panthers are doing it very well um, last <laughs> night, mate. They've got to be said. Uh, now, Logan's just asked, we've got about 50 seconds, Paulie, but the Stanley Cup game six today, how's the money been on that and where are you going? Uh, it's fairly evenly spread uh, over both teams at the moment. Um, Punter's not quite sure how this one is going. Of course, uh, Colorado had the uh, chance to wrap things up uh, on Saturday at home, uh, they were unable to do that. So we're in Tampa Bay for Game 6. Colorado still only need to pick up one more victory. They're currently $1.83. Tampa Bay Lightning $1.90. But, yeah, evenly spread over both teams, Lightning and Avalanche. Good stuff. Paulie Mawadi from the TAB. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Making Polaris New Zealand's number one selling side-by-side brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's just gone three past 11 here on SENZ. No Smithy today. Ricardo Paul in with you through midday today. Coming up, you can play Stumped at around 11.30. $50 TAB bonus bet to and some sleep drops to be given away there. Right now, though, we're talking rugby league uh, with a man that loves his league more than most, Sam Ackerman. G'day, mate. How are you? Very well, mate. Unhealthy is how it's been described in uh, in some channels. So, yeah, um, more than most, I'll take. More than most, indeed. Now, there's a lot of uh, different games to talk about. It was a big weekend of rep footy, but we should start with uh, late last night in Perth. uh, Now, it being confirmed, the westernmost uh, suburb in Sydney, the way that New South Wales play there, and the the New South Wales Panthers um, up over Queensland quite convincingly. Yeah, look, normal service has resumed. It was just a blip um, uh, that game one, uh, but it was outstanding uh, by New South Wales, and they had a point to prove. Uh, they were they were in the contest in game one, but they were certainly uh, short of their best, and they got uh, to coin the um, the immortal Gus Gould phrase. They were out origined by um, by by Queensland in that first game. They didn't come with the like brought skill, but not the intensity. Uh, and I thought that intensity was there. 
uh, and bucket loads uh, in that game. Uh, I think the, the tackle that stands out to me for that is is Nathan Cleary absolutely monstering Kalen Ponga. He got put in report for it, and it was an HIA uh, assessment for uh, for Ponga. I've, I've got to say, I'm, I'm still wondering where the where suspension can come from a tackle like that. But regardless, they showed this uh, this aggression. They showed a ruthlessness. And even when things were going tit for tat in that first half, uh, once they got their opportunity, which came from a sin binning from uh, for the for the Queenslanders, uh, with Felicia Kafusi put in the bin. Uh, from there, it was just a, a a dominant run. They took every opportunity that came their way, uh, and they kept the foot on the throat. It was it was great to see from a New South Wales point of view. Uh, and Queensland were showing up uh, in that second half in particular. They uh, they when they lost that momentum, when the wind got out of their sails, they didn't know how to get it back. And uh, everyone talks about Cameron Munster being the next Wally Lewis and how he can change a game. Well, he had a few opportunities, but in fairness, a lot of pressure was put on him and he didn't come up uh, and deliver when it was required. So yeah, Nathan Cleary made a major statement. And I think that it's uh, the, the, obviously the cliche version that set up a, a crack in game three, but it is now anyone's bet because we've seen what the bounce back factor is and the need for redemption. New South Wales have just written the book on it for Queensland to go sit down, read through and, and come back themselves. They're a talented group. They're playing in Queensland. Um, so I, I certainly don't think it's a fait accompli, but uh, the the mental and moral advantage goes with the Blues right now. Yeah, that's how it feels. There were some changes made, of course, to both sides. Injury enforced for Queensland, but Freddie really pulled the trigger, didn't he? And one of the, I mean, they won and they won well. But one of the changes he made that it feels like it probably didn't work as well as he thought, and, and maybe he'll go back for game three. We'll see. But upper side, Coruscant coming in. For Damian Cook, I mean, Damian Cook ended up playing 46 minutes, which would suggest that uh, maybe that was an experiment that didn't quite work as he thought it might. I, I, I go, I, I'm with you. I don't think that the two hookers were the dominant factor that they should be um, when you've got two on there. But I, listen, I was critical of only having one. I thought Damian Cook is a virtual eight-minute um, uh, rake going up against uh, Harry Grant and Ben Hunt. Uh, he was shown up in game one. So having that uh, extra energy boost worked. I personally would have liked to go the other way around and had Damian Cook start and have uh, Coruscant come on and spend maybe a, a collective 30 minutes on there. So you still get a lot of cook, but you get fresh energy and fresh legs. I think it made a difference. And it made a difference in the delivery too. Um, I think it's worth pointing out that when uh, Nathan Clear is in that dominant uh, mode, if you're the hooker, you're not looking to run. If he's putting his hand up for it and the, your seven is playing like that and says, I want the ball, it's not a, com- a conversation. It's you pass it on. So I don't think there was a failure. Um, I don't think they grabbed it by the scruff of the neck um, and became a dominant duo. But I, I also don't think they did anything wrong along the way. I don't, I don't look at them as like, oh, well, I wonder what they could have done better. I really think it came down, come down to the guys who deserved the ball, got the ball for New South Wales, and that's a smart move for any footy team. Uh, what about changes potentially for Game 3? I mean, I, it felt like in the first half, uh, Stephen Crichton got found out a wee bit at right centre. They certainly attacked down uh, that side. I mean, do you think that uh, Crichton's starting position is in danger and we might see a Talakai get the, uh, the full 80? Yep, there's a chance to keep, keep into account too that um, Jack Whiten could be back uh, and that mm-hmm. changes the complex because he was the best on ground for the Blues in game one. So he was only missing through injury, which allowed both Crichton and Matt Burton uh, to get a um, get a start. So, so I don't think Crichton set the world on fire. And I wouldn't say, I definitely don't think his position is safe. But uh, I also think from a momentum point of view um, that Fittler will be loath to make changes for the sake of changes. Um, whereas you have a cohesive team unit working, then you want that to, 
to drag on. That's what we saw for um, for Queensland too, and it, it, it doesn't necessarily work out. It's really hard to put those in. But if Jack Whiten's available, he comes in, so it's who comes out. Does Burton switch sides to play with uh, with Tupo? Does he? Uh, do you allow? Um, Whiten to shift across to the um, to the, the the right side. It's a, it's a it's a tough conversation, a tough uh, decision to make. But um, of, of the of the seventeen that took the field, I'd say the one in most danger, if you like, of holding their spot would be Crichton. Yeah. Okay, mate. What about in, in the Maroon side of things? Obviously, it didn't go well for them, um, and you know they they really missed uh, Reuben Cotter, didn't they? Uh, the, the dynamicism he gave them around the field in game one was was certainly missed. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a few injury concerns um, to go with as well. I think um, uh, Ponga had the head knock, see how he goes. Uh, and there's also um, talk that Kieran Munster was carrying something off the back of that as well. So um, he's getting a scan to uh, to check himself out, make sure he that uh, his shoulder can hold up because that's uh, obviously a, a, an almost unfillable hole. Mm-hmm. Um, for them the way he's been uh, at origin level. So uh, a lot of questions uh, as they go, but I, I, I think you'll find that injury aside, Billy Slater will pick and stick. It was it was the what worked in his era as a player, and I don't think that um, he's going to come out and, and really throw anyone under the bus. He's a first-time coach. Uh, unless there's somebody with a just a, an overwhelming amount of experience to call on, he will pull these guys together and say, it's game on. We're going to Queensland. We're going home. This is our chance. I believe in you. And that's how, you know, that man management style has worked so well for Queensland for so long. Um, but they are up against a very good New South Wales side. So um, I, I, I don't look at it and go, well, these changes will, will turn things around for them. I think they've probably got the right squad to do it. Um, it's just whether whether they can lift themselves back up to the level we saw in game one. Yeah, I think he's, he's got to address the middle four. Um, I mean, you look at it. I mean, being between the two starting props and uh, Lindsay Collins and Josh Papali, they didn't play 80 minutes between them. And Tino only played 38 minutes at lock. So uh, obviously something not working there. I just think that they were gassed. They didn't get any ball down the other end, and that isn't in the second half in particular. And that's a complete anomaly. There was one, I think the stat was they had one tackle inside the opposition 22, and that was essentially a fumble. So they they didn't get down to the area where they needed to be to make the, uh, to put the pressure on, and because of that, uh, and considering that they played the first nine minutes with uh, a man in the bin, I just think they were gassed. I don't think they had the energy to uh, punch through, uh, and that's why they didn't have the energy to make the tackles. It was some soft tries were scored along the way. I I just put that down to New South Wales putting relentless pressure on. Mm. All right, let's talk some international footy, mate. Uh, we saw the Kiwi Ferns get up over uh, Mate Maatonga and. And, uh, and they did it pretty convincingly. And then the, the Kiwis themselves followed it up. Uh, a lot of firepower in this game. 26-6 at uh, Mount Smart Stadium. And the spine of that Kiwi side looks really good and a lot of promise going into the World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. The first of the Kiwi Ferns, it was great to see them um, out there and get a, a run. And yes, it was dominant. And uh, respectfully to the uh, to the, the female Tongan uh, side, they are not at the same giant killing caliber uh, as the uh, as their male counterparts. So it was wonderful for them to um, get a test and get a chance to play against the Kiwi Ferns. And they're a team, much like a, a lot of our female sport teams, uh, they've got a lot of talent and a lot of potential. They just need to work their way back up to, this, to the status and level that we know that they are capable of. So it was a good ruthless encounter they they didn't uh, take their foot off the break the scoring tries in the well, the first couple of minutes the scoring tries in the last couple of minutes they uh, they really pushed on so it was great from the uh, the kiwi ferns as from the kiwis uh, the spine was wonderful uh, and the the depth of of talent uh, in that kiwi uh, spine 
selection group, I'm talking about the wider squad and those not picked in this team, is uh, at a level that I have never seen as far as the, the, the skill level through. We've always had some very good players in one, six, nine, and seven, but uh, I would I would say that the ability to take someone out and put them in, if I told you Sean Johnson was coming in at halfback now, who didn't make the squad for very few reasons, you wouldn't blink and say we're screwed. You know, there's, there's a guy who's played, a, proved himself at, at test level. There's, there's a lot of guys um, out there that you, you could throw in uh, to those roles, and it's it's wonderful that they are in that situation now, but the, those are there Thought I thought in general throughout the context of the game made smart decisions through it. It was a really intelligent spine. We don't just have good players. We've got good players from good systems. Joe Manu obviously isn't a fullback on a regular occasion, but he ran the house down over 400 metres is, is phenomenal, a record uh, at that level, at any level of the game. It's just amazing to watch him go uh, for a guy who's played 10 minutes of fullback at NRL level. Uh, he is uh, a smart decision maker. He, he put in good kicks. He put himself in good positions. And same thing goes for the Haas and Hooker. It was it was a smart move uh, right throughout. There's a couple of options. I, I'd like to see a little bit more killer. I think there was some tries left on the table, but they they didn't make a lot of uh, bad decisions. Just a, a little bit of final execution. So that was a great situation uh, to see this team in uh, and to hold this Tongan side. And we will note that this is not Tonga at its absolute peak. This is not uh, all their players and everybody that they will play with in a World Cup context, uh, but still a very good Tongan side with a very good pack. To hold that pack to six points, I thought was really impressive. Uh, and the, they're without their coach as well. Christian Wolf is still coaching over in Super League, so the guy who ran them in the World Cup wasn't there. Dean Young was the interim coach with Wayne Bennett offering some advice along the way. So, yep, there's, there's rationales and reasons, but the they confronted their first test match in two and a half years, and they played beautifully Ricardo that was a wonderful contest to watch and I yeah we can talk about the, the polish but when you do keep in mind that these guys haven't even had training camps together over that whole period it is it's, it's great to get out to see them play like this again and uh, it's just wonderful to see the Kiwis play in the Kiwi Ferns because you think of all our national sporting teams can you think of anyone that's had to wait longer of this of that level and caliber instead had to wait long between drinks because of the COVID um, disruptions in the Kiwis. It's been a very long time coming, uh, and it's just a joy to watch it again. So watching Te'iwi Kiwi get performed at the start, yeah, it it, it was it was special. It was special, mate. Uh, and you know, you talk about that depth too. I mean, the fact that Kieran Foran is your fourteen uh, guy guy with his experience and guile. I mean, he didn't even get on till I think the last sort of ten minutes. And Sean Johnson, yeah. as you mentioned, didn't even make the squad. Neither did Cody Nikarima. So probably more depth than I think we've ever had in the playmaker roles. Yeah, and no, I think I think Cody Nikarima, sorry, pardon me, uh, Kieran Foran was was the wrong pick. It was fourteen if that's how they're going to play. I would love to have seen uh, maybe an Aaron Clark mm-hmm. or a uh, or even um, Tamati uh, Martin get a run in that role because uh, I don't see you know look at Foran and go roll. He's he's going to be the guy that comes on and brings that spark at dummy half. He was solid when he came on for sure. But he's not a guy that's going to you, – you wouldn't go, I'm going to give um, going to give Brandon Smith, uh, I don't know, 55 minutes and uh, and give 35 through to um, – uh, oh, sorry, 25 through to um, the other hooker being foreign. I'd like to have seen someone with a bit of spark so we can see that one-two punch, so we can build a bit of depth at hooker. But um, Brandon Smith is just a, a – you might as well tattoo that number nine jersey on his back. With the, he, he will be – it's his as long as he wants it, as far as I'm concerned. He, much like Isaac Luke, what he brought to the Kiwis for so long, he's just 
his spark and his his energy is phenomenal. But you need to build that depth in the nine area. I think we've got a lot of good players, but I think we don't need to work on those combinations. So to me, that was a, a missed opportunity. Yeah, well, I mean, if there was a, anything that sort of raised my eyebrow about the selection, it was near Kore at centre um, and, and then Joey Manu at fullback because it felt, that felt like a defensive move, and and I'm not doubting uh, Madge McGuire when he looked at the size of this Tongan team. He maybe thought they needed some more starch there. I mean, hell, we could always do with you and Aitken out in the three jersey for the Warriors, I think, given the amount of second rowers we've got. But I think from an attacking point of view, we'd look so much better with Tamari Martin in the one and Joey Manu in the three, wouldn't we? I was told that before the game, but watching Joey Martin, uh, sorry, uh, watching Joey Manu go, I was, I was. I was more than impressed. I, 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 I would prefer to eat my words on that. He is um, not only is he a world class centre, he's obviously proved himself as an international caliber fullback. Now it's you know just one game. He, he needs to do it more often to be world class player. But he he's shown he can prove him. He can hold his own uh, at an international level there. So I, I'm I'm comfortable with how it worked in the uh, in the wider scheme of things. And I think that maybe the the reason behind it is I think that um, Demarty Martin is still coming back from what was a career ending. Uh, situation with his uh, with his blood clot. I mean, that he's on the field again is remarkable. But back into the stage of his career, perhaps there was the the thought of not putting that level of um, exposure and pressure on him as a as a test fullback. But you know, if you pick him in the squad, you've got to be prepared to pick him right. But I, I, I'm okay with how it panned out. Um, and yes, I think it was a defensive move. But I think it's also very clear that Madge Maguire wants this team to be a defensive team. And I'm okay with that because they've got attacking options. If they can restrict teams, if they can make sure that just the simplest of, of facts is they score less points than the Kiwis score, then the Kiwis are in a healthy position. And that's what we love to watch the Kiwis play with flair. And we saw plenty of it. Uh, and when you've got um, you know, halves and outside backs like we saw uh, on the field uh, in the weekend, then they will always have, opt- oh, let alone you know the forwards or that run from James Fisher-Harris. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, anyone in, in this team can produce something. But that defensive starch is not a renowned fact. Big hits and a tough packers, but defensive starch and showing up to make tackle after tackle and running teams down when you're up by 20 with a few minutes to go, that's not a renowned feature of the Kiwis. If that can become part of their DNA and part of their fibre, then they're going to be an awfully hard team to stop. Uh, and you know, one day the Kangaroos will have to play Test Match Rugby League again. They, you know, they'll have to remember that they do have an Australian team. It's not just the Australian merit team that, Mel Meninga names his figureheads after an origin series and they do have an obligation to play against, you know, the rest of the bloody world. One day when they play again, they are going to be a good side. But if the Kiwis can have combination and can have faith in a, uh, in a structure as opposed to just putting champion players together, then they are a chance of winning a World Cup this year. This, this was a, a marker that needs to be laid and I think a defensive marker I'm comfortable with. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I look at the uh, the draw for the World Cup and going to form, you would think the semifinals are going to be a re- uh, repeat of uh, what we saw Saturday night with New Zealand playing Tonga and then and on the other side it'll be England versus Australia all going well. But, I mean, what we saw from Samoa, what we saw from PNG on the weekend, it's not cut and dry. Yeah, and, and we're building a, um, a international, uh, you know, widespread interest level now where it's not going to be just a walk up and, and Tonga can take huge credit for that with what they've done and being 
you know, giant killers and taking down New Zealand, taking down England, taking down Australia, you know, and Samoa are, are, are not far away from being able to follow in, that, in those footsteps. And that's wonderful. But like I you know, the main thing is that rugby league is held, held to ransom by, uh, by the Australians. And I understand that why State of Origin is their top product. They control it, but uh, and it, it brings them a lot of money. Uh, and would you get 60,000 people to a rugby league test match in Perth? No, you would not. Under any circumstance, you would not. So that shows you the value uh, of, of what they have as a product. But because of that, and because they don't put rugby league first, how is the game going to grow? And they have a responsibility at some point to say, do you know what? We need to make sure for this game, for us to be the biggest brand possible, for the Kangaroos to be what the All Blacks really are to the world, then they need to play more test matches and be involved and be prepared to get their, you know, play, play a team without your origin players if you have to, whatever, be involved. Let, you know, it happens in cricket, it happens in other sports where you can't have your best players at any given moment, but get out there and, and help to build this game. Can you imagine if the All Blacks put the North Island versus South Island game ahead of test footy? And yeah. then every now and then we'd, we'd go on tours every now and then. Of course not, because the game is big and the and the money is in, in, in markets or in playing overseas. But we've seen the home nations being uh, of of um, of the Northern Hemisphere. We've seen them put a stranglehold over rugby union for a very long time, and particularly in the in the past where things kind of went on their basis. But you know, it's it's a it's an absolute travesty to um, to think that the game can't grow because Australia holds all the marbles. And if they you know if they can see the benefit of of the international game growing for them, then perhaps a, a fact of the matter is they don't. I understand commercially why it doesn't, uh, but I I get a little frustrated. I mean, they the kangaroos are essentially becoming the the British and Irish lions of, of rugby league. We see them every now and then. We're supposed to be grateful for their presence um, when they when they do, but I. Uh, as a as a long time Kiwis fan, um, I'm ready for the Kiwis to hold that place at the the number one in the world rankings because the Australians don't play. I want them to be number one in the world rankings because they beat the Australians regularly. Yeah, no, I'm, I agree with you. As I said to um, Andrew Voss uh, this time last week, why is the team ranked fourth in the world dictating international footy to everyone else? Um, you know, yep. it needs to be looked at. Hey, just had this text come through too. Uh, just get your comment on this before we let you go, Sam, from Goose. Joey Manu is being selected at fullback. People need to remember that is his position. He's a fullback playing centre, not the other way around. He said that a number of times, but unfortunately is stuck behind Tedesco. Roosters have won nine out of ten games. Manu has played at fullback. It's certainly giving Trent Robertson something to think about, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's a, and but it's the what he's thinking about is what great depth I have at fullback. Uh, he's not thinking. There's no way in the world that um, that he'll be playing there ahead of Tedesco. Uh, and Tedesco's got the the track record. Uh, and I don't think you know, I've I've barely seen a moment where I've thought, well, Tedesco's form means he needs to be replaced in that position at club level. So yeah, he, he is a pref, uh, preferred to be a uh, to be a, a, a fullback for sure. But it's it's his natural position. It's not his position. Playing at fullback is a uh, is a role that comes with minutes and time and experience. And look, for all we know, uh, uh, Trent Robinson is giving uh, Manu heaps of training minutes at fullbacks as well to make sure he's uh, he's up for the play for when it comes. My point I'm making about uh, about Joey Manu is when he is on the field, I have faith in what he is doing. Whether it's at centre, whether it's at fullback, he's a really intelligent footballer, and I've got no problem with him being at fullback. Certainly after watching him in that performance, I did have a little trepidation because we've we're all seen across whatever footy code you want to watch players who play out of their preferred position or sorry their regular position thrust into another one. 
that he can play fullback is very different to being a fullback. And I think Goose is right, is that it is a natural position for him. He filled it well because he plays it well. But it must be said, he doesn't play there a lot. He doesn't get tested out there by, uh, you know, in the throes of battle uh, as often as as you'd like. And you'd certainly say, it'd be rare to say you're comfortable with a guy playing a position that he's only played, you know, nine or ten first grade games for in that position in general. But Joey Marnie's a freak of a talent who had a hell of a game. Yeah, he did indeed, mate. And I'll tell you, the other thing is, at times in the second half, he almost played like a six. He had the ball in his hand so many times, and that's probably something else uh, that Trent Robinson and Madge McGuire can look at going forward. Hey, Sam, thanks very much for your time today, mate. Always good to talk code with you. Could do it for hours on end, but uh, we'll leave it there and catch up with you again soon, eh? Take care, mate. Talk soon. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, Sam Ackerman talking rugby league with us here on Mornings with Smithy on SENZ. Uh, Stumped with Smithy coming up after 11.30. We'll get to your texts after this. 11.30, which means it is time uh, nearly for Stumped by Smithy. If you want to be stumped by me today, give us a call now, 0800 150 811. 0800 We'll do that right after the latest in news and sport with Araha, which is coming up shortly. Uh, just a reminder for you, uh, we've got a brand new show debuting tonight from 7 o'clock, straight off the back of the run home. Kirst Stanway's going to stick around for another hour, and we're going to show all about the Black Ferns and keeping the focus on women's rugby. So the Black Ferns show from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock tonight uh, with Kirst Stanway. She's going to have uh, some guests too out of the Black Ferns. Uh, looking forward to this as uh, she is the voice of women's rugby in New Zealand to a, to a huge extent with all the work that she does on Sky and here on the run home as well. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. That is the number for Stumped by Smithy, a $50 TAB bonus bet and sleep drops could be yours after the latest in news and sport with Araha. He's got the blue on. Great, isn't it? Hey, um, so this is how the game works. If you don't know, we have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within the first two questions, then it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, we jackpot tomorrow. Today's topics are the Stanley Cup, cricket and Major League Soccer. What would you like to go with, Simon? Uh, I'll go with the cricket. Okay, the cricket. Hey, mate, mate Smithy. Hey, oh, here we go. Here's the first question. Manus Labushkakni, Labushane, however... Manus Labushane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is no longer the ICC's top-ranked test batter in men's cricket. Who is the new number one? Uh, after a series, probably Joe Rook. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, Six runs, right mate. in the slot, and, and away it goes. Uh, that was brilliant. Uh, Michael Rippon, question number two. Michael Rippon, he's been selected to play for New Zealand after previously representing the Netherlands. But what is Michael's country of birth? Oh, okay. Um, I think he's born in Australia. One of the worst things oh, it's gone through I have to the ever keeper. seen done on a cricket field. I'm going to say he was born in South Africa. Just a couple of chips Ooh. down the wicket. Back to the pavilion. Right in the slot. Underway. Thanks for your call. We really appreciate it. Up next, uh, out in the middle here, we have Barry from Palmy North. You there, Barry? Yeah. Good morning. Thanks, yeah. guys. Mate, yep. mate. Hey, one question for the chocolates. How, how confident are you yeah. feeling? Well, I... Um, I use the first two questions, so there's every chance I'll get this one wrong. 
<laughs> well, here we go, mate. Here we go. That's right, goes, isn't it? <laughs> oh, usually, yeah, you know, Murphy and his law. Um, yeah, exactly. Final question. Across 10 test matches in her international career for Australia, how many centuries does Elise Perry have to her name? Elise Perry. Um, ladies cricket, did you say? Yes, 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 yes. So I'll read that one more time for you, mate. Across ten, yeah, please. Across yeah. across ten test matches in her international career for Australia, how many centuries does Elise Perry have to her name? Um, God, I, I, I don't know that one, of course. Um, uh, I'm going to say five. One of the worst things oh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Through to the keeper, what does he do with it? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm because the Aussies are so strong, I'm thinking even though she's played 10 tests, she's probably not batted. Or, you know, she's not batted two innings each one, so maybe not as many as you'd think, and maybe not chasing as many as you'd think. So uh, I'm going to go two. Just a couple of chips Good down the jackpot. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Nailed it. Caught him and stumped him. Well done. Sorry, Barry. Oh, uh, well, well done, mate. Very good. Hey, 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 guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I backed the draw last night in the league, so I'm running hot. <laughs> it, 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 and I just, I've just chucked 20 on the draw, well, a few hours ago. I've chucked 20 on the draw in the cricket, got on at 28, because I've heard the weather could be a bit dodgy. Well, that would be the only thing that would save us. Barry, I think it's the only thing that's going to save us, yeah. given they only need 113 with eight wickets in hand. Oh, yeah, but they're not going to win it, no. But uh, $28 for the draw, but I, I, I just had a look, and I think it's down to 17. So, obviously, other people have uh, cottoned on to what I on to. Now, given that we've had that news today, uh, Barry, that Ian Foster, John Plumtree um, and Jack Goodhue and David Harvelli are out for the All Blacks' first test because of COVID protocols, I've heard there might be uh, a couple of others as well that we're yet to hear about. Um, your $50 TAB bonus bet, I think the Irish last time I looked were paying $3.60. You reckon that's worth a nudge? Oh, absolutely. Even before them guys were out, they, they, it was worth a nudge. Because I'll tell you now, our, our, our front three, the, the engine room, they're the, 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 the not good. They're the, the not the best in New Zealand. And um, that worries me. And it all starts from that front three down. And um, I, I, I think they've made some poor selections in that front, you know, in the props. Yeah. Oh, and, if, um, if you were going to select our front three, uh, Barry, if it was up to you to select whoever you wanted to, front three for the All Blacks uh, for this weekend, who would who would your front three be? Oh, I, 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 I can't pronounce them. And, you know, it's a, it's a biggie. Um, you know, no, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you offhand, but I just, you know, I, I, I just know what I know. Hey, um, it, do you want to hear something interesting about golf? Go on then. Yeah. Um, you know how Steve Elk is doing so well in the, um, you know, the Champions Tour? Yeah. Like he's killing it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not it's not a personal thing against Steve Elker, mm. but um, what they're saying is it's, it's bad for the Champions Tour. 
that Steve Elk is leading it. No, well, what, what the, and I can appreciate what they're saying, and it's nothing personal against Steve, mm. but what 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 you know what the people want to see on the Champions Tour is you know champions coming through and I see and you mean. winning, and, and and this sort of no name Kiwi coming through and winning everything. Although he he struggled today, well he didn't struggle; he still did very well. Um, you know, it, it's it's just sort of not what you know, and, and the. It's not what they want to see, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, you know, that... they, they, want, they want to see, you know, major, past major winners turning up and winning, you know? Yeah, well, they might have that, might have a bit of trouble there going forward, mate, with this new lift tour, because there's got a lot of guys at the end of their PGA career going on the old lift tour who maybe would be normally be on that uh, Masters tour, so they might be missing out on a bit of talent, you reckon? Well, well it, yeah, it ain't going to help, but. What a, what a joke that live type tour is! It's a, a um, you know, it's it's like the last time that first event, it was just there was just no atmosphere, no nothing. It was a, you know, three round exhibition. It, it, it's it, 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 it's it can't survive. I'll tell you and, what. And, tell hey, you what, Barry. The guy that the guy that finished last in that in that first tournament that they yeah. had on the Live Tour, twenty four shots yeah. off the winner, still got paid one hundred and twenty thousand yeah. US. It's not bad for being rubbish yeah. at golf. I could do that. Well, well it, it'll be interesting to see how many more starts he gets. You know, mm. um, but but um, it, it doesn't matter who they take. You know, Cantley, Shoffley, they can they could take all them guys. And and there's another. You know, there's another. Um, you know, champion that will, will come up through the ranks. The, the PGA Tour and, 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 you know, the Corn Ferry Tour, it's all a story. You know, guys trying to make the cut to get a start next week. You know, guys um, making, um, you know, three birdies on the road to get on the tour. And, you know, they, you can't... It's been around for years and, and, and it won't get beaten. And, and, you know, three rounds, shotgun start. It's just like, ugh. Yeah. Just, I tell you what, you know, Barry. You know what? The, what I'm picking up out of this conversation is that I'm just glad. Yep. I'm glad that golf wasn't an option with stumped because I think you would have had me. Well, I, 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 I was hoping it was, but but to be honest, cricket was the you know the best of the three. So, um, no, well, well done. I do, do you know um, how, where she made her century? I don't know where she made her centuries, but I am going to hazard a guess and say that she. Ma- I think she made one against the Poms in the in the uh, uh, Women's Ashes uh, out in Perth. I think it was last year. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think that was one. The the first one, I'm not sure though, mate. But uh, hey, Barry, thanks very much for playing stump with Ricardo. <laughs> Unlucky, uh, unfortunately, we can't uh, yeah. can't reward you. But um, go well, mate. Enjoy the rest of your week, eh? Yeah, you you too, and thanks for um, letting me have a little chat. Yeah, yeah, no, no drama at all, mate. Good to hear from you, and good to hear your thoughts on the golf scene at the moment. Sixteen away from midday here on SENZ, and this is mornings with Ricardo in for Smithy. One selling side by side brand. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Yeah, it's coming up 10 away from midday. We're going to catch up with staff shortly, but the uh, Silver Ferns team for the Com Games has been named. Uh, they've gone the 4-4-4 split, so four shooters, four midquarters, four defenders. Starting at the back, uh, Kayla Johnson, Phoenix Karaka, Kelly Jury, and Sulu Fitzpatrick. Uh, in the midcourt, Gina Crampton, Shannon Saunders, Whitney Sunis, and Kate Heffernan. And then the shooters, Maya Wilson, Tapia Selby-Rickett, Grace Nwecki, and Bailey Mears. Now, Grace Nwecki is subject to medical clearance and a return to play protocols. There are some reserves named as well. These team reserves are Amelia Ann Ekinacio, Claire Kirsten, Tiana Metu, uh, Metuaro, and Mila Rilu Buchanan and Ali Timu. So those are, those are the reserves for the Silver Ferns for the Com Games. When we come back, Mark Stafford's going to join us. We'll find out what is in store for you this afternoon. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.